Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, like, subscribe, share, hit the little bell for notifications, do all that fun stuff. And today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Vicki Burbatch. And we're going to be dis discussing her new book, The Lost Art of Sacrifice. I think that's an important topic, Joe so Resnick. A spiritual guide for denying yourself, embracing the cross, and finding joy. For those of you who are not familiar with Vicki, a brief introduction. Vicki Burbatch is the author of How to Read Your Way to Heaven, a spiritual reading program for the worst of sinners, the greatest of saints, and everyone in between. Her work has been featured in the National Catholic Register, on Catholic Exchange, on Big Pulpit, and at the Catholic Education Resource Center. She created and led for six years a spiritual reading book club at spiritualdirection.com. She's been a guest on many EWTN shows, and she currently blogs at her website, pelicansbreast.com. Burbatch lives in the Midwest with her husband and six children. Vicki Burbatch, welcome to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Hi, thanks for having me. It's nice Thank to see you both. Excellent. Thanks. Vicki, we start with a prayer. It's our custom because all good things start with a prayer. And this is a very good thing. In the name of the Father, Father Son, Son, Holy Spirit, Spirit Amen. Remember, our most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. Saint Dominic, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, Vicky, as Joe was reading your bio, I noticed your your uh, website, Pelican Breast. I, I just want to make a comment before we get into it because I think it's very relevant. Um, we're talking about sacrifice. Pelicans don't they like feed off their own chest? Like like. That's that's a legend. So you know, I don't know that's ever. I don't know that's actually true, but it's always been a legend that. Uh, Pelican would actually, you know, pierce her own breast to feed her children um, the blood from her from her own body. So it's come to obviously symbolize Christ on the cross, and you can see it on. Um, I've seen it on altars everywhere. Yeah, same here, Whatever. crests and stuff. I mean, it doesn't yeah. get more sacrificial than that. Piercing right, your right. own chest. Good lord! It's, it's a beautiful image. It's funny when I decided to do that, have that as the name for my blog. It just kept coming to me that that should be the name when I was going to blog about sacrifice, and my husband's like. Are you sure something with the word breast in it is going to appeal to Catholics? I don't know if people are going to pick that up, but but it you know it really it really was a I think good fit for absolutely topic. absolutely it's a great image. I mean I didn't to be honest I didn't it didn't pick up on it um, until Joe just read it and I said oh very interesting it's very apropos to what we're talking about the lost right. art of sacrifice. Well let's get right into it, Vicky. Um, in doing research for the interview, um, I came across this statement, and I, I just want to throw it at you, and I'd love to hear your comment. It said, the lost art of sacrifice leaves behind the soft sentimentalism that many today wrongly associate with Christianity. What do you mean by that, sentimentalism? Well, you know, I'm a convert, and so I came into the church. It's been now 25 years ago or more. But when I came to the church, I read my way into the church and, and I was just enamored by the beauty and the depth and the profound nature of what the church teaches. And when I came into the church, I didn't see what I was reading. You know, I mean, um, I, I really have experienced in many ways the kind of a kumbaya nature of Christianity. And if you look out in the culture, that's what we see everywhere is um, if you say anything that's not... Um, that is not completely open and understanding and let's hold hands and um, all agree. Uh, and you're usually called to agree with things that 
the church does not teach and, and is ab absolutely against, then you're denounced as a hater, as a bigot. You know, the, um, Christianity is just, is not allowed to take a stand these days, you know, and, and I've, and, and I, I attribute that to a, a great lack of catechesis in our church. Um, Okay, Vicki, we love you. This is yeah. right up our alley, boy. You, you've entered the breach now. Go ahead, Vicki. Yeah, well, you know, I came into the church reading Scott Hahn, and I'm really grateful that I did. The first book I read was Rome Sweet Home, and, and he did a great job of just offering um, additional reading. And so he sent me on a good path, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, so I didn't head off. Um, but, you know, just as an example of our experience, when I first came into the church and we were first married, my husband and I taught a CCD class in Chicago. And it was for sixth graders. I think uh, they were learning about the New Testament. And I read through the teacher's guide and the children's workbook. And I was floored because the only message, and I'm not kidding you, the only message in there was Jesus loves me. That was it. And I remember saying to my husband, if that is what these kids are getting, why would they ever stay Catholic? Why would they want to be Catholics if that was it? Because that's what I got as a Protestant. That was the message. Right. Um, and, and I had read so much about the call to sacrifice and about our union with Christ on the cross that if if that's not what we understand, then anything the church asks us to do then becomes unnecessary in our minds. So so that's what I meant by the notion of sentimentalism. You know, it's not the actual I'm going to lay down my life for you, Christianity it's let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya Christianity is what we're seeing in the culture today. And sadly, we're also seeing that in a lot of ways in the church. Yeah, that, that I mean, that message, Joe and I say on the show all the time is, is that, you know, I got it. If it's funny you say that, you know, Jesus loves you. I, I, again, we say it all the time. Yeah, I got that when I was five. <laughs> I got that part of Christianity when I was five. But then, but it, but it also maybe it's not you know one of the things I thought we were going to talk about. But but now that we're on it, and you say Jesus loves you, but what does love mean in our culture? That love doesn't have, let's say, it's not very well defined. I guess right. we were talking about sentimentalism. So love comes down to um, an emotion, a feel, an emotional response to something or a feeling. If you want to have an emotional, a loving emotional response to something, go look at the cross. Yeah, I would think. If you don't mind, Vicki, comment on that. What is love? What is the Catholic view of what love is? Because I think it speaks to what we're talking about, about sacrifice. Well, yeah, and I make the argument in my book that love equals sacrifice. That's what it is. You know, Christ said that the greatest love is to lay down your life for a friend, you know, and he demonstrated what that was for us. He laid down his life. He, his entire life from the birth, from his birth in poverty with nothing and through his entire life of sacrifice and ridicule and um, condescension and then all the way through to his scourging and his suffering and death on the cross, that was his example to us of what it means to love. And, and because we're made in his image and likeness, we're made to unite ourselves to him. And he is, you know, I mean, yes, he was God, but he is also a perfect human being. And so as, as there's a common phrase that, you know, well, I'm only human, but that's actually the opposite of what it should be because when we sacrifice and when we love most perfectly, we are most human. We are most like Christ. When we fail, that's when we are less human. You know, that's when we're not doing as we're called to do. Um, we're not acting as we were made to act, you know, and I think he made us, he made us to emulate him and gave us the example of, you know, exactly what that looks like in life. And it's a beautiful example. If we just thank, look at the crucifix. Yeah. Thank, thank you for that. Because it, it, one of the things Joe and I try to do on the show is we try to blow apart some of the, the common things you hear in the culture. And that's one of them is like what the definition of love is. And I think it's important. Thanks, Vicki, for that. Well, Matthew uh, chapter 16, I think, says it rather clearly. It, uh, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For, for whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will, will find it. I mean, that's very clear. I always say this. Uh, my wife and I obviously talk about our faith constantly. And, and I always say, Jesus was very clear. You always knew where he stood. Right. He drew the lines, but he was loving. But to love is also to speak clearly, not like, you know, you know, bashing people over the head, but that's a very clear statement. And it's very different from what the culture is basically communicating to us. The idea of sacrifice is gone. And I actually, this is my thought, because I one time 
to be honest with you, was in a, in a conversation with a nun talking about this idea that we're not seeing it within the church and in the clergy. And she turned the tables on me. And I want to bring this to your attention because you have six children. Um, I said, sister, you know, like the church, you know, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. She said, well, Joe, this is learned in the home before you even go to the church. There's certain things about sacrifice. Like you have six kids. I have four. My wife's pregnant with five. Um, you know, you learn. We don't have a big house. You know, you learned certain things. It's a school. Right. In that situation. Talk about how that's learned. The idea of sacrifice because our culture doesn't have that anymore. People don't right. have kids. <laughs> yeah, you know? I think I think what we're seeing is evidence of the way that we have wrongly raised our kids. I remember when I um, when I had my first son, I had a really good friend who was very holy, beautiful lady, and um, you know her son was uh, less than a year younger than mine. And I remember reading a what is it like parenting magazine? You know, was was something they had out. And so I had no idea what it meant to be a parent. And I read this article and it basically said, you should never make your child say he's sorry for anything. You should not have your child um, feel guilt or apologize because you should, you should enable them to feel strong in who they are. And so this friend was over, a new friend at the time and still my best friend today. And she said something about um, something her son did. And she told him, you know, that makes mommy sad that you do that because for I don't know whatever reason, I remember thinking that's the opposite of what I read in this article. And, and uh, over time, you know, and that's not how my husband grew up either. I grew up in a totally different um, home. So, um, you know, I came into the church because of what the church teaches about family. So I was learning from scratch. And, and it over time, what I learned, and I'm sorry to ramble like that, but is that, you know, so many studies have been done that demonstrate that when kids are given all of the, you know, they're taught this, we've been told for a generation to teach them self-esteem, that they need to have self-esteem. And self-esteem comes from the struggle in life. It comes from being denied and having to work and having to serve. Um, when you realize that you're capable of being a member of the community and of society, that's what gives you self-esteem and makes you understand that you're needed, you know, because we're all, you know, we're this mystical body of Christ who all um, are are connected to each other. Um, and the culture has done the opposite of that and said, you know, that this child has to be made to have all of his, um, you know, we hear the helicopter parent concept and children are just not allowed to suffer, to struggle. They're given all the desires of their heart. And what happens over time is those children, you know, collapse. They, they can't handle what I life agree. brings, which is always a struggle. And there was this, there's this um, study that's really famous called the marshmallow study. I don't know if you've heard this, um, but in the 1970s, what they did was they took preschoolers and they'd set them in this room and you can find videos on YouTube. Now they're so cute. They'd have this because they've redone it so many times, but they'd set a big marshmallow in front of a little child and they'd say, okay, you can eat this marshmallow now or, and I'm going to leave. And when I come back, if you haven't eaten it yet, I'll bring you two. So you can either eat this one or if you wait, when I come back, you'll get two. And so these kids struggle with the idea of waiting for that second marshmallow. And, um, and what they did in this study is they followed these kids through the course of their lives. And the ones who waited and delayed gratification for the second marshmallow, they did significantly better in life. They had better ACT, SAT scores. They did better in school altogether. They had longer, happier marriages. They were more successful in their jobs. So, you know, whether it's the spiritual life or in the physical world, we're, we're made the same body and soul. You know, that discipline, that, that ability to deny yourself actually helps to make you a happier and more joyful person. And it's bared out over time with fruit. And uh, you're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello, and we are way in the breach with Vicki Burbatch, and we're talking about her new book, The Lost Art of Sacrifice, a spiritual guide for denying yourself, embracing the cross, and finding joy. One other point on that, because um, Joe just mentioned about, you know, starting in the home. Here's the way we put it on the show at the front line with Joe and Joe, Vicki. Parents, parents have to start using the word no. We grew yeah. up with no. Right. My father said, Daddy, or I said, Daddy, can I have a bike? No. Why not? Because you have a, I have a choice. I could either buy you a bike or I could send you to Seton Hall Prep. I'm sending you to school. And, and it, it was constant growing up, okay? And I heard, and I still was a hooligan growing right. up. 
But if I didn't hear no all those times, God knows what I would have become in life, okay? We have to start using the word no with our kids. <clears throat> Stop with this idea. If I tell you how many times, Vicki, I heard in my life, oh, I want to give my kids everything I didn't have. Right. Well, what does that mean? How about you give your kids formation? Right. And part of formation, you know, in molding that child is, no, you can't have it now. You're going to have to wait. Talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, and this isn't with the spiritual life, this is with the physical life with our kids, but just as an example, um, my mom was a single mom who, um, she sacrificed a lot to help me when I went to college. And I remember, um, you know, I mean, I got grants and things like that because we didn't have a lot of money, but she bent over backwards. And I remember thinking when I got married and I pursued my master's degree that I really had taken advantage of her. You know, I didn't work super hard. I took whatever she gave me. And, and I mean, I've been a good kid. I was a good kid, but I, but I look back and I'm like, wow, I really just took what she gave. And, um, and my husband worked his way through college. And I remember telling my kids from the very, very, very young that, you know what, if you want to go to college, you'll either work hard enough that someone else will pay for it because you'll get scholarships. Or if you don't want to work hard enough in school to be able to do that, then why should we pay for, pay for you to go? Well, our first son just graduated in March um, from college, no student loan debt. We never paid a penny. He was an adult from the time he was 18, paid his own phone bill, but he's bought his own cars. He's had his own business. And the sec we have two more in college doing the same thing. So, so I think it's a myth just even in the culture that, oh, parents must pay for students' college. Um, it's horribly expensive because the government has gotten involved in all these horrible things. But, but the point is, when we tell our kids, hey, you need to be responsible, we say no to, you know, just handing out, you know, anything from candy to a college degree, kids are capable of a whole lot more than we give them credit for. And it's amazing what, what they can do if we would just allow them to, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it makes that gives them a confidence that allows them to enter the world as an adult at, you know, 18 also. So, but that's built into larger families, you know, like, because you have to, it's just a matter of that's the way it is. You know what I right. mean? Like if you have like a number of children, say six kids, I mean, like who has $4 million? To, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there are people who do. And I'm that's not, just for that crazy right. cost of education you know, that, that Vicky just alluded right. to. You know, like education, you could spend as much as $70,000 a year at some universities in this country. Right. Um, you know, uh, you know, there's no doubt about it, but that's built into the model. And I think that's what alluding to what that sister was saying to me, like families, there's a certain, it's a school when right. you have that. And, and that's important. And I think we've lost that. Yeah. And that's a club for big families too. Absolutely. <laughs> well, obviously that's a conversation that Vicki will have you back for because that's one of the, our biggest problems is that uh, somehow, some way, Joe's grandmother had 17 kids. My grandmother had eight kids and nobody ended up in the poorhouse. Okay. Right. Nobody ended up on the street or in a homeless shelter. People got educated and, and, and got a high school degree and went out and went to work, became a professional or a dock worker. They were able to do it. But somehow, some way, America's at the point where if you have a big family, you're all going to die. That's, yeah. what the, that's what the culture says. Go ahead, yeah. Joe. In the book itself, um, at the end of each chapter, you give some practical down-to-earth suggestions to help readers cultivate this art of sacrifice. Talk a little bit about that. Like each chapter, you kind of give some suggestions to help people. Because obviously, listen, it's like everything in life. You have to cultivate things. You don't just get it right away. Right, right. Well, you know, my book is separated into three parts. You know, in parts one and two offer suggestions to help cultivate that art of sacrifice. At the end of each chapter, there are gentle suggestions for people to consider. Um, for example, at the end of the, the chapter called What is Sacrifice? Uh, the reader's asked to kind of consider where sacrifice comes easiest. Because for each of us, that answer is different. You know, it, some people um, may be very good at going into the parish and leading parish activities and, you know, working at the food pantry, et cetera, et cetera. But then when they come home, they may be very impatient with their children, with their husband or their, you know, their wife. Um, or, and, you know, and all kinds of other examples exist, but for each of us, that answer of where sacrifice comes easiest and also where it comes most is most challenging is something that we need to address. Um, I think often, you know, what happens is we, on some subliminal level, we focus on our strengths and we get into that notion of I'm okay, you're okay mentality, you know, and what we need to recognize is really in truth, I'm not okay and you're not okay. We all have a lot of work to do and, and uh, there are plenty of opportunities for growth in that realm of sacrifice. So each chapter offers those provocative questions or suggestions. And then um, at the end of each chapter also is um, 
our suggestions for additional reading because I, you know, I was led into the church by some wonderful works. And so I tried to offer that for people who may be interested in, in learning more about each particular topic uh, that's addressed. And then the last section of the book is called the art of sacrifice. You know, this is where we get down into the nitty gritty. And then there aren't uh, suggestions for cultivating the art because now we're into, now we're going to develop this art, you know, now we're here. And the last art just, or the last section just talks about dispositions that are necessary for sacrifice and, you know, the love of God and love of neighbor and horror of sin, et cetera, you know, just really gets into here are some ways that we can really step out and take practical, um, practical measures to grow in sacrifice. I just want to mention one thing. I think one great way to start sacrificing. I mean, I know, I know it's helped me in my life is start, Joe says all the time, start with prayer, yeah. sacrifice some time. See, that's one of the things that we've lost, I think, in, in our culture is uh, this, I, my nose is in the cell phone or where's, as soon as you wake up, where's the remote control? Or whatever. Start with sacrificing a few minutes, like Joe says on the show all the time, a rosary takes 15 minutes. How about start with a short period of time to give to God? to start, you know, the, the ball rolling as far as start to sacrifice some things because we don't take the time out to do the things we're supposed to. I'd love to hear your comments on that, Vicki. Well, it's funny. There's a quote in my book where I actually say, you know, there are two areas where time is a key is a key part of the spiritual life. Both require great sacrifice. The first is the time we intentionally set aside to spend with our Lord. And the second, you know, that's with silence and prayer and adoration, spiritual reading, or any combination thereof. And the second is every single other moment of time, you know, so, <laughs> so you know, we have, we must take that time set us set apart for Christ. And, and, um, you know, I don't know if this is where to talk about it, but yeah, that time is so important because I think as a culture, we've, even in the world of Christianity, even in Catholicism, I think it's gotten so dangerous is, you know, I, I think of the cross as, you know, we have this vertical pillar and this horizontal um, um, bar, right? So the, the pillar is that relationship we have with God. You know, that's that relationship we develop through participating in the sacraments, through prayer, um, through just developing that interior life. And that relationship is the key to our going out, which so I consider that relationship like the post of the cross. And then you have the horizontal piece is our ability to take what we've received and go out and serve the community. And what I think has happened is we have just completely dropped the post and decided that Christianity is all about serving our neighbor. And I heard, um, I heard many years ago, this beautiful talk where, you know, this man said, basically, what makes us any different from the Marxist next door? If our Christianity is just about service to our neighbor, if that, if it's about creating utopia on earth, making everything perfect here, then we have, then we lose Christianity altogether. And, and I, I see that happening, you know, even as you look at what's happened over the past year, mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the notion of, of this relationship with God has been set aside, churches closed, um, you know, the, those Bible studies not allowed, you know, all these things, um, this relationship is not allowed. It's all about, hey, you know, you need to put this mask on for your neighbor. You need to get this vaccine for your neighbor. It's, it, it sounds very, um, very top down, very, you know, one size fits all. And it's not the, the, the notion of Christianity and that relationship and time with God has been lost. And I think that's how we got here is that we kind of gradually have lost that notion of time mm -hmm. and, and relationship and turned it into something else. I like have a few minutes before, before the break, I want to hand it over to Joe. One point on, on, on what you said, if in fact we had any historical example where let's say the Marxists, because you brought them up, actually did a wonderful job at taking care of their neighbor, then maybe we could look at it a little bit. <laughs> they haven't exactly done done a great job. Obviously, it's been the opposite, but I don't want to dwell on that. Go ahead, right. I just right. want to um, touch on the symbolism that you use with regard to the cross itself, the vertical and the horizontal. What people have to come to is you can't give what you don't have. Yeah. I think of the rosary, the joyful mystery. Mary in the first mystery, the Annunciation, receives God. And then what does she do? In simple, humble service, she goes out to Elizabeth in the visitation and gives him away. As Christians, particularly Catholic Christians, you cannot give what you don't have. Like in doing this show, when Joe and I were given it, I said to him, what's going to make it great is our prayer life. Like 
Yesterday, I went to adoration for a half hour. You have to get from God in order to give. And, and talking on another point that you brought up about the things that lack, and that's why I think your book is something that all our listeners should get, the practical examples. We're all lacking somewhere. Yeah. You know, I think of myself. I have four young children. I get impatient with them. I want to control them. Right. I can't. You know what I'm saying? I'm lacking. So what do I have to do? I have to go to the well. I have to get in order to give. It's a very important point because we as Americans think that we're the source of everything. We're not the source of nothing. Yeah. You know, like we have to get from God in order to give to God. But let's talk about the joy of sacrificial giving. I think there's such joy. Francis tells us this. He says it is in giving that we receive. You know, it is in dying that we get eternal life. Talk about that, the joy of sacrificial living. Well, you know, we did talk about it a little bit before in that the notion of in the natural life, we can see that self-discipline and self-denial um, make people much happier in the long run. You know, I mean, even, you know, when you think of the notion of marriage, uh, there have been studies and I've, I've done a lot of um, research on marriage over the course of my life. And there have been a lot of studies done to show that, you know, if someone is, if a couple is at the lowest state of their marriage and they're ready to walk away, but they don't, they stick it out. Um, five years later, those marriages are so much happier. They're happier than they ever were. They're happier than newlyweds, you know, because, and, and it bears out that, that walking through that struggle together and uniting yourselves um, and working through it bears happiness. It brings joy. And that's, that's been demonstrated over and over again. You know, just the notion of, um, of, of giving oneself, you know, I mean, think about it. When we look out into the world and we see someone offer a great sacrifice, um, you know, someone gives up their life for someone else or someone, you know, is witnesses and serves someone as they are suffering. We are in awe of that. We, you know, we look at, you know, our wounded soldiers. We look at, uh, you know, I mean, we look everywhere in, in the world and see great sacrifice and we are completely in awe. And the very fact that we're in awe says that we know we are called to that kind of beauty. Uh, and love. And, and what, the, what we say to ourselves when we see that is, wow, would I have the courage to do that? Would I have the courage and the ability to do that? And, and maybe we say, I would never have the ability to do that. But we don't say that in, as, as something we're proud of. We're actually ashamed of that because we know that internally we were made for sacrifice. So when we live in that truth of sacrifice, even just even just when you give something to your child, you know, give them time that you necessarily you're stingily didn't want to give because you're working on something, you always feel good about that. You know, so when we live in that that life of sacrifice, of generosity and love, we are happy. And, and, and studies have borne that out over time to show that when people do not just fill themselves with pleasure and, and just go after their passions joy comes with that. And the opposite is also true when you see that people have just gone off on a stream of following, you know, just instant pleasure and instant gratification. It always ends up collapsing around them. You know, they, there is not joy found there at all. It's, it's, it's so demonstrable too. When you look at, let's say, again, talking about our culture, Joe and I hammer home on the, you know, uh, the sexual revolution of the 1960s. Okay. It's led to nothing but misery, right? Whether or not a person wants to admit it, Okay. It's, it's a miserable, empty life, just chasing after pleasure. When you allow your, 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 your passions to control your reason, when you know through your reason that, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And, and people have lost so much self-control. And it just, again, the culture says the culture sells it. It gets bought. Okay. By, by, by the, especially the youth. Okay. And then when they're broken by the time they're 25 or 30 or 35 years old. Okay. And then they say, well, what did I do? Well, you bought the lie, right? You right. bought the lie. Life is not going to be easy. Everybody needs to get that through their head. And the sacrifice that we're talking about here, the art of sacrifice is something that we have to hammer home to people is essential. It will bring you that joy you're looking for. Actually, you know what? Let's take a break. Um, we're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We're having a great conversation about sacrifice with uh, Vicki Burbatch. The Lost Art of Sacrifice is her book, A Spiritual Guide for Denying Yourself. 
embracing the cross and finding joy. And you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Please make sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. And we're at 1350 on your AM dial serving the New York metropolitan area. Also follow Joe and I on social media, on Facebook and YouTube, all that fun stuff. Stick around. We'll be back on the other side of the break. Hey, you know about our Veritas shows, right? All five? It starts every Sunday at 5 p.m. with The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talk to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank. This is your chance to hear Bishop Frank Caggiano talk about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. That's when you can hear It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. It's a late night show on Catholic Radio, and Liv mixes faith with humor, games, and dynamic interviews. There's a double dose of shows on Friday. First, at noon, it's Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Then, at 12.30 on Fridays, you can hear the focus on Veritas, where Peter Sonsky puts the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello way in the breach with Vicki Burbatch discussing her new book, The Lost Art of Sacrifice, a spiritual guide for denying yourself, embracing the cross, and finding joy. Vicki, on the other side of the break, you were talking about marriage, and obviously sacrifice is a key, you know, element to every good marriage, and I think that's because I've been involved in some marriage prep stuff. Um, my wife and I have given talks. Um, I think that's missing. People don't think of it that way. Marriage is a vocation. If you're Catholic, it's a, it's a path to holiness, and I think what people, and I, I just want to expand on that a little bit. You know, we're not going to be nailed to a cross, most likely, you know what I'm saying? But we're all called to white martyrdom, dying to self. Christ gave us that model, whether you're married or you're single. And in that vocation, I think if you, and this has helped me, um, you have to digest that. Yeah. It's accepting that reality. Because I think when we push on it, we, there's trouble. You know, to accept that. Talk about that acceptance to that reality. Even Christ had to struggle with that in the garden. His acceptance of, take this cup from me, Father, but thy will be done. I think in marriage, we have to accept that reality. That, listen, it's not my time. It's not my life. I'm here to die to self for other, my wife, my kids. Easy said, not easy to do. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, um, I came into the church because of what the church taught about family. I grew up in what I guess today is probably uh, too typical of family. You know, my mom had been married five times by the time I was out of high school. Um, she has now been married six times. And, uh, and I grew up, she was an alcoholic. And, and uh, I used to love the show Little House on the Prairie. It was my favorite show ever. And, and I used to sit there and think, if there is a God then our situation was not what he intended. And I didn't know if there was a God, but I thought if there was a God, this show was what he intended. You know, the notion of sacrifice and love and just, just a complete care and consideration for one another. That has to be what he meant um, for family. And when I was in college, someone handed me a National Review magazine. And, and I think William F. Buckley Jr. had probably written something about Pope John Paul II, uh, one of his documents on marriage. I don't remember, but I do remember that it had something to do with the Catholic Church teaching on family. And I was, I thought, wow, I mean, I, it just opened up a whole world to me that this is what God meant for family, you know, and it was the notion of the cross. It was the idea that, you know, that two become one in that union, uh, you know, that, that relationship represents Christ on the cross. It's a complete giving of self. And, and I was just wowed by that because the notion of following one's own desires um, in a relationship between two people, you know, you're not the same person. You are never going to completely agree on everything or be one, you know, as, 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 um, you know, in all of your likes and dislikes, et cetera, et cetera. But if you each pursue your own desires, 
you're both going to, you're going to walk a different way. You're, you're not going to walk together. You know, you must have, there must be an element of sacrifice that's complete in that union to make it work. And, and in that giving, you know, it's becomes a joyful, it's a joyful family life is what you have, you know, and then your children see that, that generosity that you have for one another. And, you know, that's what, that, that is absolutely what God intended. You know, I, when I met my husband, I started reading my way into the church and, and I wanted everyone to know, you know, I wanted, I wanted to shout from the rooftops that this is what God meant for marriage and his family. He grew up, like you said, he grew up with nine kids in his family and his mother was a living saint. She, she's the most beautiful, sweet person I've ever met in my life. And, and his, just his family itself was a, was a, a role model for me in total, you know, very generous, very kind to one another. And, and they grew up, you know, Northeast Nebraska dairy farm family. And, and, um, and I look at that and, and I've spent the last 20 some years just really trying to learn from their example, trying to read through what the church says and trying to implement that in our lives and implementing that means just really dying to self. And, and the idea of accepting that, you know, accepting that means accepting great joy. It means accepting great happiness. You know, the notion that your spouse is supposed to complete you. Um, the only person who can complete you is God. And so when we learn that, you know, I don't need my spouse to completely understand where I'm coming from in this moment. You know, when, you know, you get into, if you get into an argument or something, you don't need them to understand. God will understand you. You, you can go and take all of your, all of your, you know, sadness and needs and desires to him. He will understand your soul. Your husband is not there to understand your soul. He's there to work with you to get for you both to get each other to heaven. You know, that's why your spouse is there. And, and I remember reading Pope John Paul II said in, um, I think it was the jeweler's shop, he had a quote where he said that every soul is an island and our relationships are about building bridges from island to island. So we don't, we can't see everything in a person's soul. So that, and that person cannot complete us, but God does. God is with us and understands everything about every little piece of us. And if, you know, like Fulton Sheen has that book, three, you know, the, I read it. I was just going to quote from it. Go on, please. Exactly. And you say, you know, three become one. You know, you must have Christ at the center of your relationship. And if you do that, then he will give you all the grace you need to have a happy marriage. And, you know, just on a side note, I, this just makes me so excited. Um, I, you know, you sometimes you get this little kiss from God that you, you believe that, you know, somewhere you're on the right track, that he, he puts you on the right path. And, uh, you know, I came into the church just before we were married and uh, Pope John Paul II died on April 2nd, but he, he, he was canonized as, you know, he's the patron of the family and his uh, feast day is on October 22nd, which is our anniversary. And then I found out a few years later, um, because when I first came into the church, I wasn't aware of, you know, papal decrees or anything like that with regard to years and um, the dedications, like we have the year of St. Joseph this year. But a few years after we were married, I learned that 1994, which is the year we were married, was also the year of the family. So I just consider that this great hug that God said, yes, this is what I'm all about, is the notion of marriage and family. And um, and if I could help everyone to, to see how beautiful that is, I just think that would that would make life a great thing. <laughs> I, I think one of the um, stats you could look at that we talk about on the show all the time is um, is that if if married couples... Okay, do what you were just talking about, having three three as one, Christ as the glue. If you look at just one stat, the divorce rate in America amongst all Catholics is right in line with the rest of the culture, sadly, okay? Yeah. But amongst faithful Catholics who have that glue, have Christ as a center. And what I mean by, <clears throat> excuse me, what I mean by that is prayer, confession, Eucharist, okay? Uh, defining, let's say, what a faithful Catholic is. Um, Amongst married couples, the divorce rate is like 4%. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So the numbers bear it out too. If you're, if you have Christ as the glue, you're going to succeed in yep. your marriage and in your family. Well, that's the grace of the sacrament. That's why it's a sacrament. I mean, everything you described is why God made it a sacrament. We need help. You know, Fulton Sheen said it's the two people. The thing that they have to have common is in that book, they have to be gazing in the same direction. And that's the direction. It's a path to heaven. You said it's our path to holiness. And that is a road of sacrifice. Right. People have to digest that. 
even before they get into marriage. But, you know, I want to switch gears and talk about single people. You know, not everyone, I didn't get married till I was 43. Um, and I, I, there was a time I always wanted to get married, but I didn't think I was go caught like it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? You can give in other ways. You know, we're all called to sacrifice. Let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, uh, St. Paul says in Romans 12, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. You could do that as a single person too. How do we do that? And how does your book address that? Well, and you're absolutely called to do that. And no matter what, single, married, um, you know, whether your vocation is the priesthood, uh, the religious life, you know, Romans, just like Christ's directive in Matthew 16 about carrying our crosses and denying ourselves was not, that wasn't given to married people, but it was given to everyone. You know, we are all called to a life of sacrifice, we're all called to the cross, you know, so we share in Christ's role as priest, prophet, and king, and that role as priest is a role of sacrifice, you know, by offering up our trials, by offering up our prayers, our sufferings, um, by offering, you know, mortifications that we choose, uh, you know, maybe something as small as giving up our our morning cup of coffee or something like that for the salvation of, for our own salvation, for the salvation or intentions of loved ones or others for the holy souls in purgatory. You know, we are called, um, to, to just have that life in general. Um, I lost my train of thought. I was going to, I was going to offer an example of, of that, but, um, no, it's okay. But I mean, I think it's very relevant because you know, a lot of times people think like priests are called to sacrifice. Obviously, married people are, but single people are too, because there's liberty in when you're single, whereas you could do certain things. Like for seven years, I drove the missionaries of charity in New York City. As a married man, I can't do that. My time belongs to my children and my wife. I could do some things, but you're limited. But you're it's the same idea. And you said that in 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 your comments. Basically, a priest, a single person, a married person. We're all called to sacrifice. And that's hard. And that's why this book is so important because it gives us guides to that path. Well, and and I remember what I was gonna say, if I might um please. One of the best books I have read, and I'm going to say that a million times because I read a lot, but um, Fulton Sheen Wright has a book called The Mystical Body of Christ. And, and I think we've so lost the notion of the mystical body. We hear about it in mass, but the mystical body anymore has been reduced to something like we're all, you know, we're all family. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it's been reduced to. But if we can understand the spiritual nature, nature of that, the mystical nature of that is that my prayers, my giving up my cup of coffee, my prayers, my sacrifices of all they can affect others. You know, we think about the fact that, well, how can my giving up my coffee help my husband, you know, have a good day? Or I mean, just something silly like that. Well, the reason is that, that Christ can take all of our gifts that we offer in love and he can use them. You know, that is, th those are beautiful things placed into the world in, you know, and they make up for sins that are put into the world. You know, the sin destroys the world little by little. Every time someone commits a sin, there's just this darkness that's placed in the world amongst all of us. And every good thing that we do, every gift that we offer is something that can build up the church. It builds up the body of Christ in a beautiful way and, and build us up as a whole, can build us up as individuals when we offer for, for our loved ones. The holy souls in purgatory desperately need our prayers and sacrifices because they depend on us. And you know, we I was we received something from our um, priest a few weeks ago saying that for this year, there are over 200 days open where no one has offered um, masses for anyone. Uh, and because we've lost sight of the value that that has, you know, the, the spiritual nature of our faith has been lost. You know, we're so wrapped up in the notion of modernism that we forget how valuable those sacrifices are. And so they're sacred, they're valuable for everyone, whether you're married, whether you're single, uh, for children. I mean, for every one of us is called to participate in that mystical body of which Christ is the head and, and to work together toward our permanent home, which is heaven with him. It's it's funny you mentioned, I mentioned on one of the recent shows, I had to learn that about the mystical body of Christ in my journey back to the church, because I never left, but certainly wasn't practicing the faith for about 20 years of my adult life. That's one thing I learned, and it really resonated with me. I, I, I thought in my mind mistakenly that my sins were just my business, 
In other words, that even I go to confession, it's just my business. And a good priest, because that's what we need, and that's we have a lot of them. We, we need as many good priests as possible to be very blunt and direct, particularly in confession. He says, no, Joe. He said, when you sin, you're taking away from the body of Christ. And when you avoid sin, you are building up the body of Christ. Yeah. What you do just not, doesn't just have to do with you. It has to do with the church, with the mystical body of Christ. And I had to learn that. And I only say that because there's a lot we have to learn. Nobody should be so comfortable in their faith that they think there isn't enough, like you said, about reading. There's always more to read. There's always more to learn. There's always deeper to go in the faith, okay? It can only help you. It can't hurt you. Um, I think it's so important. That's why people need to go out and buy Vicky's book, which is uh, The Lost Art of Sacrifice, A Spiritual Guide for Denying Yourself, Embracing the Cross, and Finding Joy. Vicky, I'll have you say it again at the end. We have about probably 13, 14 minutes, but where, uh, let our audience know, Vicki Burbach, where can people buy your book? Well, the first place I'd recommend is any local Catholic bookstore uh, because we want to support them. So it is; it should be available in most Catholic bookstores. It's also available online. It's Sophia Institute Press carries it, um, and you can get it on you know just about any online uh, bookstore. Amazon would have it, um, Barnes and Noble, etc. Yeah, I told my wife this morning before I was on my way here. I said, I said, do me a favor. I, I, I said, can we please wean ourselves off Amazon? So. <laughs> I understand. We interview a lot of people. I would tell everybody, go to Sophia Institute Press, support Sophia Institute Press. Let's right. talk culture for a second, Vicki. Um, you're going to get in trouble now, Vicki. <laughs> not that we're not already way in the breach uh, you know, at the front line with Joe and Joe with Vicki Burbatch, but not, now we're going to get in a little trouble. Uh, Benedict XVI said this in response to the culture. He said, the sacrifice and, and renunciation belong to the just life. Whoever promises a life without this continuing gift of self is fooling people. So I guess my question is this. Why is our culture so easily fooled? I have my own ideas, but I'm interested in yours. Well, I think the glitter of the world is appealing. You know, I mean, I mean, I think we have, we are, when I wrote my first book, which was about spiritual reading, it was the, the big thing that I said all the time is that we are bombarded everywhere um, with the lies of Satan. I mean, we're just constantly, you know, every, everywhere you go, when you see movies, books, shows, music, media, the news, everything is constantly, we are bombarded with the lie of the culture, which we already discussed, which is that life is about me, myself, and I, it is about, uh, you know, the unnecessary nature of suffering, you know, we are promoting, I mean, oh my goodness, abortion, euthanasia is on the rise, we're promoting so many evil things, Um, I mean, our education system is chock full of it as well, I mean, children are being brought up in just um, deplorable ways when it comes to uh, what what the culture is trying to teach children is true, and it's all a lie, you know. And so, but it's way more, it's way easier sometimes we, than the truth, you know. I mean, we, it's it's tempting, you know. I mean, Jesus says, "Take the narrow road," and it is a narrow road for for a reason. Yes, it's chock full of joy and beauty, but it's also chock full of a denial of self. And and the broad road is easy. It's everywhere, and and I think um, I think people are easily fooled because it glitters. You know, it just looks very shiny. Yeah, I guess there's a reason why the, the you know the Satan showed Jesus the world and said this could be yours. I mean, I'm, obviously that's what we learn. We know is a temptation. Yeah. And we and we we try to hammer home on the show all the time. Look, the bill is going to come due. That's the problem, and with and what and one of the things we have to emphasize to people. There's going to be a price to be paid. You're not free. No. no matter what Satan and his supporters tell you, you're not free. The bill is going to come due with God or with Satan. Okay. You're, you better choose God because when that bill comes due, okay, you're going to be in a very, very dark place, both in this world and the next. And that's something that we as Catholics need to emphasize to people. It's like Dylan said, you're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve God or you're going to serve the devil, but you're going to serve somebody. And people better get that through the head. This radical, let's say, uh, you know, libertarian freedom that, that the evil one is selling you, okay, it's, it's not free of charge. Right. And, and, and I'd love for you to comment on that because that bill will come due. Yeah, well, um, two things. First, I just finished a book on purgatory, uh, where they they literally laid out all of. The- I'll be there, Vicky. So uh, I'm I'm interested in hearing well, your comments. You know, they laid out documented um, documented appearances of souls from purgatory, 
And, you know, they laid out very clearly, first of all, the, the greatest thing they asked for was to have masses said for them, just FYI. So everyone knows that we need to offer masses for the souls in purgatory. But, but another thing they said is that, you know, this notion of uh, St. Augustine, which I, I want to be a saint, but not now, please, Lord, you know, someday I want to be a saint. And, and many Catholics even have that attitude was, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get deeper, I'm going to go deeper, but not today, you know, that every single sin that we commit in this world, even though forgiven through confession, we it will need to be expiated before we will enter heaven. So, you know, if we don't do our purgatory on earth, we're going to do it in purgatory, but we do have an opportunity right now to offer sacrifices um, and, and to, to just turn our lives over to God today. And it'd be much easier today when you have the support of your loved ones and your friends and your family around you than when you're alone and depending on, on you know, the church militant on earth to pray for you, you know, at that time. And then another thing I'd like to say is I, we have something called Constitution Club. About four years ago, I, we started it where we have 35 to 60 kids in our basement once a month where we talk about how our Catholic faith, um, how we live in the world as Catholics and how we understand all these current events, you know, these kids are bombarded with, you know, this BLM thing that happened this last year that that was all over, you know, social media and everywhere and, and, um, you know, and things have been going on for for years but but in this this past four years, we've talked about what they're going to see when they get out to college, when they get to college, and if they go into high school, some of them. Um, and, and I talked to them that the church has an agenda. The agenda of the church is to save souls. That is their agenda. But the culture also has an agenda. And the agenda of the culture is to lead us in a lie. It, it is, and ultimately it is just to destroy because the culture, I mean, the devil is all over this culture and becoming more and more, um, Satan is becoming more and more bold and just and brazen um, with his attempts. I mean, look at the things we're called to believe are true now. You know, when you get into the notion of transgenderism, things like that, and um, I mean, 10 years ago, people would have thought, no way, people aren't going to, but people aren't going to believe these kinds of things, but we've had almost scales people are, have scales on their eyes to see what's happening in the culture. And, uh, and, you know, so we talk to these kids about, okay, so here's what is true. And here's why we need to understand what's true. And here's what the culture is saying. And let's, let's discuss both and see which one bears out, bears fruit in the long run. Vicki, I want to touch on, you've mentioned scales and you also mentioned the glitter of society. And I think the key to seeing things is, you know, Go to scripture. What does it say? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see the face of God. You know, some people could be listening to us right now on the radio, and they could say, listen, these three, they're holy rollers, um, you know, or these three are learned. They, they've, you know, have degrees. Well, you know, we're all educated, but clearly we're not academics. Why do we see and say someone else doesn't? It comes down to that. St. Paul, the symbolism of the scales that you mentioned, it comes to, to be honest with you, going to confession, go, living a sacramental life. You don't have to be an academic to see. Right. You could see by being a very simple person going to daily mass. And that's why the society doesn't see. And that's why I said I have my own ideas about why we're fooled by the devil because the scales are in front of our eyes. We have to get rid of them. Right. And you're at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We're having a great conversation with Vicki Burbatch, and we're talking about the lost art of sacrifice, a spiritual guide for denying yourself, embracing the cross, and finding joy. Uh, Joe, I'm going to give you the last question. We got about six minutes. Real quick, Vicki, in like a minute or a minute and a half. We blew up one uh, misconception out there about what love is. Okay. Let's for a minute or so, just, just go on a different track. Joe and I say on the show all the time that right, right now in America, we have this, I, what we call the idolatry of freedom. Mm -hmm. And it's also that it goes along the lines of a misconception of what freedom actually is. Comment on that for like a minute or so. Um, th this idea that we're not free to do whatever we want. Freedom is a thing, and we have a complete misconception of it. And the misconception is what we idolize. you mind talking about that for maybe a minute or so? Well, I think we've come to believe that freedom is license to do whatever we want to do. And, and actually, freedom is the ability to do what we ought to do. You know, we, we were made in God's image and likeness. So we were made to, to emulate him and, and, and to be united with him. And so, 
to the extent that we are free, it's so that we can have a choice to follow him. We, we have our will and he will always give us our will to make a decision to love. Um, and, and to the extent that we believe that freedom is, the, is a license to do whatever we want, we end up down a path of debauchery. You know, I mean, you just end up on a path that's harmful and dangerous and sad and, and lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, we definitely need to get an understanding of what freedom is. And I think, um, and I think even you see in the culture, you know, when you look out in the culture, just the way that um, justice is being served is, is almost turned upside down anymore. You know, that g- good is considered evil, even in a, even it seems like in courtrooms across the country anymore that that things are being twisted and so definitely we need to you know i think the only answer is is like you said like joe said I guess I'm <laughs> uh, you know is is to return to the sacraments to return to prayer to return to god because without that we're just going to be lost and there, there's just no matter where you look anymore you're you're seeing um you're seeing things defined in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Well, we were talking about how love is sacrificial. We talked about it in the married state. We talk about it for single people who live, you know, sacrificial lives. The culture says that love is a feeling. They say love is love. Why are they wrong? Why is love? It's not just a feeling. To be honest with you, it's much deeper than that. And love is love. That's to be honest with you. I love ice cream. But that's right. not love. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Let's talk about like what the culture focuses on feelings. Obviously, there's feelings with love. That's a given. But let's let's branch it out. Uh, and Vicky, we got about four minutes left. Talk about that. We touched on it a little bit before. Talk about that and, and also dovetail into how can we as Catholics uh, learn sacrificial love? from the blessed sacrament. So if you mind, uh, wouldn't mind, we have, like I said, three and a half, four minutes left uh, before the end of the show. Okay. Um, well, I think feelings change. So they're nothing to hang your hat on because uh, how I feel today may be different from how I feel next week. So um, love is a verb. Love is an action. In, in Christ, throughout sacred scripture, Christ demonstrates that love is an action. You know, he, his death on the cross was love. He tells us that to love is to lay down your life for someone. It's It's not to feel nice, cozy feelings about someone is literally to lay down your life. That is the greatest of love. So any variation of that on a spectrum would be considered love, but it always would be an action. It would never just be these, you know, this um, little butterflies and, you know, rose petals, or that's not what love, that's not what love is. Um, You know, and we, and we can see that love in the blessed sacrament. We can experience it. You know, that's the source and summit of our faith. Uh, It is the most beautiful example that we have of, um, of what it means to, to love, because it's a demonstration of Christ's, uh, sacrifice on the cross. You know, the church is the bride of Christ and Christ gave himself up for her completely to the point of allowing himself to suffer indescribable pain and to die on the cross to save us from our sins. So this is the ultimate gift of self. And each time we received it, we were placing ourselves into the most holy union as his bride, receiving him body, blood, soul, and divinity. You know, it's much like the physical union between a man and wife, as we were talking about marriage. You know, Christ loves us so much that we become so close that we physically become one as a husband and wife become one. So um, he allows us to enter into his sacrifice on the cross in that intimate way. And through that union, we receive sanctifying grace um, because the second person of the Blessed Trinity dwells within us, you know, sanctifying us, helping us to grow in virtue and holiness. And, you know, this is the ultimate demonstration of the gift of self that God wants us to emulate. And through receiving that gift, we receive the strength to emulate it as we should. Well, I think like as a parent, um, you know, there's a lot of things you're called to do, like get up in the mm-hmm. middle of the night. You're not, no, I don't think there's any sane person on earth who has two hours sleep, wants to get up, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, but you do it. So you don't listen to your feelings. Um, that's love. You see, yeah. again, um, and this is what I have learned in my walk with God is the more you empty yourself, the more room you leave for God. You see, that's how we receive the Lord. John the Baptist, one of the most important things ever said in scripture, I must decrease, he must increase. That's love. Yeah. And that's painful. You see, that's painful. Mother Teresa said that for love to be real, it must hurt. And that's sacrificial. And that's where love is a feeling. There's none of that. 
talked about. Yeah, yeah. get out of here with that. <laughs> Vicky, we got about 30 seconds. Any final thoughts and uh, where people, our audience at the Veritas Catholic Network could buy your book, The Lost Art of Sacrifice, A Spiritual Guide for Denying Yourself, Embracing the Cross, and Finding Joy. Vicki, any final thoughts? Uh, well, would love them to would love them to check out any any website to buy the book and uh, walk into a local Catholic bookstore. Also, do check out my blog, uh, pelicansbreast.com, where we talk about sacrifice often as it relates to the culture. Um, so it was great talking with you. I appreciate. And also as a suggestion, I love this Constitutional Club that you should uh, put it on uh, YouTube. You may get uh, a, na a national following. That, that's if they don't deplatform you. Well, they'll yeah. Do <laughs> yeah, we should try that. Well, Vicki Burbats, thank you for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. And thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for joining us here on the Veritas Catholic Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial. For all Veritas content, please be sure to download our Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. Also, please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube, like I said, until they shut us down, of course. Like, subscribe, share, hit the little bell for notifications, all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.